All right. Well, good morning again, 59th Street family. Um, we welcome you to our church as we continue in our sermon series, um, Living Testimony. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been kind of touching on various themes within uh, this passage. And we're going to revisit one of these themes here today. We're going to be taking a look at one topic that John has been talking about over and over again, um, which is the theme of false teachers. But this time, as John touches upon it, he gives it a little bit more detail as to how we can kind of discern between what is false and what is true. Now, as New Yorkers, I think we all have amazing lie detectors. At least, I would hope so. Um, we're always on the lookout to not get scammed, uh, whether that's by fake Louis Vuitton bags or fake Rolexes. But I don't know if anyone's ever been misled to buy a fake product before. Uh, but what I've been noticing is that these fake products are being made extremely, extremely convincingly. Um, I've seen videos of how some fake products have even fooled licensed professionals, people who have been in this trade for dozens of years. And the only way they would figure out whether this thing is true is if they checked the, uh, the license against the official registry. Now, I want to bring to our attention one more recent example of deception. Um, and this is concerning a woman named Anna Delvey. Um, who was all the craze back from 2016 to 2019, and her feats of deceit were, for lack of better terms, extremely, extremely impressive. Um, it was so impressive that Netflix even decided to create their own show based af after her called Inventing Anna. Um, now, she's a real human being, that is her on the left, and for those who don't know, Anna Delvey was born in Russia, uh, but she pretended to be a wealthy German heiress, and she lived just an absolutely lavish lifestyle in New York City. Um, she often spent time with some of New York's wealthiest individuals, including celebrities, and she conned almost every single one of them, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> um, as she ate meals with her friends, um, she would conveniently tell them that her credit card was suddenly declined. And so her wealthy friends would always pick up her tab. And because she was always dressed in the finest clothes from the most luxury brands, they would give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe, hey, maybe she is telling the truth. Um, she would also exclusively stay at some of the finest hotels in New York City and basically send them fraudulent wire transfers. Um, she cashed out fake checks at multiple banks taking advantage of their temporary authorization policy. And one of her most daring feats, which was, again, incredibly impressive, was she almost got away with $22 million from Fortress Investment Group, uh, where they nearly approved her for that $22 million loan, um, which she obviously had no interest in paying back. And so all in total, uh, she conned people, restaurants, and organizations up to, I think, $275,000 in the course of pretty much a year and a half. And I think this is such a powerful story of how easy it is for people to be deceived. 
even when it comes to New Yorkers like us who have the best scam or the best lie detectors. And just as Anna Delvey was able to deceive others in the passage we're going to read um, just shortly, we're going to see that there are also false teachers and false prophets in the midst of the Christian church. These teachings might be packaged in a way that appeals to our emotions, our desires, or even our sense of morality. But as Anne Delvey demonstrated in her incredible, extraordinary ability to deceive others um, just by putting on a convincing act, the unfortunate reality for us is that false teachings can also lead us astray. They can be very, very convincing as well. And John, as a leader and as a pastor, obviously he does not want to see his people led astray. And so with some of these themes of deception, of truth, let's kind of dig into our passage today, uh, which comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And hear the word of the Lord. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not, sorry, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoints of the world. The world listens to them, but we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth from the spirit of falsehood. Now, as we kind of look at our passage here today, we're going to talk about um, just a little bit of a backdrop of the history behind what John was going through. Let's take a look at that in our uh, first sermon point, the prevalence of false teaching. Now, the prevalence of false teaching was such a huge problem um, in the church back then, and this was also something that was addressed not just by John, but it was also addressed by Paul as well. And one particular problem that was going on was that there was a tendency in the early Christian church to kind of just accept anything that gave off some sort of spiritual vibe, right? And so if, anything, if anyone who was not a Christian started to speak in tongues or started to exercise evil spirits, they would believe that, oh my gosh, like this is a message from the Holy Spirit. And if they believed that this was a message from the Holy Spirit, then they obviously thought that it was from God and it was therefore valid or true. And the thing is, you actually kind of see this across the New Testament. In the book of Acts, Paul comes into contact with various false prophets spouting all sorts of nonsense. Um, in fact, even in one of Paul's epistles, he warns the church to test everything that they hear or see to see whether it's from God or not. In our passage today, we see that John is addressing the same issue here. And it's actually pretty frightening to think about because this was a time when Christianity 
was still in its infancy. They didn't have a textbook on Christian theology or Christian orthodoxy. They didn't have the foundation of knowledge that we have today. And they most certainly did not have Google to kind of like type in, like, is this actually true? And so as the early church began to grow rapidly in numbers and as false teachings began to spread, we see that this was actually a really big threat to the church. If any of these false teachings took root, it could completely end the movement that Jesus and the apostles just started. And so because of this, you, you really sense an urgency and a necessity from the early Christian leaders to stick to and to obey the teachings that came directly from Christ. But as I mentioned in a previous sermon, the reality of false teachings is not an entirely ancient problem either. Um, quite often, my youths tell me about times where they would you know, be coming to church and they would be stopped by some people with certain name tags um, who held a completely different theological view than them. And obviously, this is, of course, the Mormons. And some of our youths, they even attended some of their meetings until they felt or heard something that was completely different than what they were taught in youth group or from Sunday service here today. And so we see that, you know, these false teachings are still abounding. Another popular, yet not so new, false teaching that is beginning to make a return into popular culture is the idea of manifestation. I don't know if anyone heard of this idea of manifestation, that we can sort of manifest our destiny by focusing our thoughts or our emotions on what we desire. That as we focus all of our energy to that thing that we want to manifest, that we will suddenly attract the energies from the world or attract the people we need to meet in order to make this manifestation a possibility. Now, this is obviously a very bizarre and blatant false teaching, but if you put a Christian spin on it and you call this manifestation prayer, it can lead to some very dangerous outcomes for our spiritual lives. And the danger of false teaching is the same now as it was back then. False teachings lead people away from the truth. They lead people away from the truth of the gospel and instead lead them into error. And as people are led into error, the unfortunate end result is it creates confusion. It creates confusion in their understanding of who God is. It creates confusion in what we believe God requires from us. And also creates confusion in what we believe he has done for us. It leads people to adopt certain values and beliefs that are just entirely incompatible with the teachings of the Bible. And ultimately, what all these false teachings share in common is that they focus our attention away from Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross and instead leads us to focus on secondary matters or to put our faith in something apart from Jesus. And so as pastor, so as a pastor and as a leader of the church, this is obviously something that John did not want for his people who he affectionately calls as his friends and as his children. And so in light of this, John, he begins to give these people some practical advice, some practical advice on testing the spirits to test if they truly came from the Holy Spirit or whether it's from the spirits of the Antichrist. 
And in our passage, John, he lists out three separate criteria to help them make this differentiation. So we'll go through all three. And the first way to determine or to discern whether a teaching is from God or from the Antichrist is to examine the values of the teachings themselves. In verse 5, John says, they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoints of the world. And the world listens to them. And what John means by this is that the message that is preached by these false teachers, by these false prophets, they naturally appeal to people's worldly desires and aspirations. And when scripture often speaks of the world as something that is evil, it's not in the sense of the actual physical world that God created, but it's more in reference to the state of society as something that is fallen. Because if you examine human society, you see that it's characterized primarily by sin, selfishness, and opposition to God, right? This is our natural state of society, but it's also the natural state of us as humans. We are sinful selfish, and unfortunately opposed to God. We do what we know we should not do. We love ourselves more than our neighbors, more than our family members sometimes. We do not desire to follow God's commands. And these three traits of sin, selfishness, and opposition to God, these are our actual, true, spiritual comfort zones. And so coming back to the idea of manifestation, How do we know it's not from God? Because most self-help books or most teachers, they would use this to promote people to put their desires, to put their, uh, sorry, to put their desires above God, to put money, success, or health as their ultimate concern, as their ticket to salvation or joy. And the idea is, if I focus my energy, if I focus all of my attention, my energy on money, and once I get that money, that I desire, then I will be truly happy. If I live a long life, then I will be truly happy. But we have to admit that these desires appeal not to our godly nature, but it appeals to our natural worldly inclinations and desires. But the thing is, Scripture often rubs against these values. Jesus critiques the rich for their selfishness and brings to light that the issue of money, money doesn't mean anything unless it's used for the good of others. Life in itself is good and is given to us by God, but living a long life does not necessarily mean that we are living a purposeful life that is led by God. And so that's the first way for us to discern from which spirit a message comes from. But alongside that, John also lists a second way. In verses 2 to 3, John tells us that every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. And I like how in this verse, John stresses the idea of in the flesh. Not only is Jesus Christ the Lord, but Jesus has come in the flesh. Why does he make this emphasis in the flesh? It's important for us as Christians to attest that Jesus came in the flesh because it shows the true reality of who Jesus is and what he has done. It tells us a message that God is not far away from the world or aloof to human experience, but that he has come into our midst as fully human. It shows us a message that 
Christ understands the struggles and temptations of human life. Why? Because he has lived as one of us, as fully human. Through Christ coming in the flesh, it also gives us a reason to trust in our salvation because Jesus died as the perfect human in order to pay for our human sins. And of course, Jesus resurrected as fully human in the flesh to also give us the hope that one day we too will be resurrected in the flesh with a new body as well. And so our entire understanding of God, our entire understanding of salvation rests on the fact that not only is Jesus Christ Lord, but that Jesus, our Lord, has also come in the flesh. And so anyone who claims this understands these fundamental truths about Jesus, about his full divinity and his full humanity. They understand the core teachings of the New Testament. And that is why John says that anyone who acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But the final way that John tells the readers on how to discern the spirits is through listening. You've learned that Jesus Christ is the Lord. You might have even spoken it out. In this final verse of our passage, John tells us that whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. And the idea of listening is a very important concept. All of the apostles, Jesus himself, they were all Jews who grew up reading and listening to the Torah. And in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word to hear or to listen or to shema, we did a whole sermon series on this, to shema means not just to passively receive information, right? That's not what it means. But to listen in Hebrew means that what you hear is actively incorporated into your life through your hands, that you act out what you actually listen to. That listening meant that what goes into our ears should be lived out through every single aspect of our lives, that we do what we listen to, that our lives are genuinely a living testimony. And so we see that confessing that Jesus came in the flesh is really not enough either to determine whether someone is a false teacher or not. Perhaps they could be lying. Rather, we look also at the person's life. Have they truly listened to Jesus' teachings? Do we see evidence that this person is putting those teachings from Jesus into practice actively in their lives? Or do we see them living a life that is modeled instead after the world's and the world's teachings and the world's values? And so we have seen John gives us Christians, several tools to discern false teachings and to identify what comes from the Holy Spirit and what comes from the spirit of falsehood. Is this teaching something that aligns with the world? Is this a teaching that affirms the full humanity of God? And is this teacher someone who, most importantly, follows through on what they have heard from Christ? However, I think it's also important for us to note that this is something that we cannot do on our own. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to guide us and to also equip us in our fight against false teachings. And this is where we come to our final sermon point today about overcoming the world, where we will see how the Holy Spirit has also helped us to overcome the world and its false teachings. 
And one of the key ways that the Holy Spirit helps us to overcome the world and its false teachings is by allowing us to first understand and to apply the truths of the gospel. As we read through God's word, it's important to realize that we actually don't read it alone, but the Holy Spirit illuminates our minds and our hearts to help us to slowly but surely grasp the truths of God's word. And as we begin to gain a deeper and deeper understanding of the gospel, we begin to notice that the Holy Spirit also begins to restructure and to remodel our lives after Christ. That is what it means to be more Christ-like. And so where there was no love for our neighbors, we begin to see love slowly rise from the depths of our hearts and into our actions. Where there was no joy and peace, we begin to find it in God's presence and kingdom wherever we go. And where it was once difficult to have self-control, we begin to see that the Holy Spirit fights alongside us to conquer our bad habits. And so through the Holy Spirit, we begin to be able to live our lives in a way that overcomes the bad habits, the bad values that the world bombards us with. But what I find to be the most meaningful way that the Holy Spirit allows us to overcome the world is through the gifts of the Spirit. That as the Holy Spirit lives in us, we are given gifts to do what? To bolster and to encourage one another. Where there are false teachers, the Holy Spirit gives the gift of teaching and prophecy to equip the believers to defend the truth and to fight against falsehood. In places where there is both physical and spiritual death, the Holy Spirit trains, equips, and sends missionaries to bring healing and mercy to a place that is surrounded by metaphorical or literal death. And so as the Holy Spirit works within our lives and gives us gifts in various capacities, we are taught that these gifts are to be used. They're to be used by the body of Christ in order to mutually overcome the world. And so, brothers and sisters, I hope we can see the importance of why, it is, why we should be careful to differentiate between what is true and what is false. I hope we can begin to see why we need to examine these teachings to see whether they come from God or from the world. But at the same time, I also hope to continue to encourage you guys that there is a greater God in this world who has overcome the spirits of falsehood. And I also want to encourage you all to use your gifts, and your abilities, and your understanding of God to live in accordance with the truth to defend one another as we face adversity as one body. And so as we reflect on these truths, I would like you all to join me uh, for a time of prayer, to pray for strength, to pray for wisdom, and also for guidance as we traverse through life as God's children and as his body. So let's come together uh, for a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we gather together, as your family and as your body, that you will continue to give us strength to fight the good fight that is our faith, to give us strength in moments of weakness so that we can hold on all the more closely to you. But at the same time, Lord, we also pray and pray for wisdom, 
We know that wisdom is knowledge applied, so we pray that the Spirit will continue to illuminate our hearts and our minds, that we will take these teachings to heart and to live them out in wisdom and in truth. Most of all, Lord, uh, we pray for this world that you have created. We see how fallen it is, not just on an individual level, but across every strata of society. So we pray that you will continue to guide and to lead your creation to wholeness, to mend what is broken, to bring life where there is death, and to reveal to all people the truth of your message. So Lord, we praise you. We thank you for what you have done for us, and we take courage knowing that you have overcome this world. And we pray all of this in your precious Son's name. Amen.